I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, good folks, it's another Thursday. Don't we love Thursday? Well, I do. I am super excited. Um, I'm always excited because I really love these interviews. I love getting to meet such amazing people. And I have another black woman on us today who is an EDD. She is a doctor. EDD is Doctor of Education. And for those of you who are in K-12 leadership, y'all know that is the degree to have. Ain't that right, Dr. Childs? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, well, see, we have Dr. Kamisha Childs today. She is an amazing, amazing woman. Definitely a, a teacher turned professor <laughs> who is now helping future educators to just really be empowered and to be accountable for what they're doing. I, th- I think that's a pretty good summary. Would you say so, Dr. Childs? Sounds good. Sounds but, about right. But what did I miss? So tell us about yourself. I know I missed something. I just, we talk, we talk, and I'm like, what? Maybe let me sure I make sure I said that because we just talk. I enjoy talking to you. Well, I enjoy talking to you as well, and I'm glad to have this opportunity. You want me to go ahead and tell you a little bit more? Go ahead. Tell us all about yourself. This is your time to shine. All right. Well, as she said, I'm Dr. Kamisha Childs. I'm originally from Wichita, Kansas, and I have to pause and let people know. Yes, there are people of color in the middle of our country. (laughs) Okay. We are there. I'm from the largest city in Kansas. It's not a farm. It is an urban area, believe it or not. (laughs) I would have never thought to go to Wichita, Kansas, though, to be honest with you. It's just you don't think about it. At least I don't. I try to be funny. (laughs) Well, you're missing out. Missing out (laughs) on a lot more people like me. Not very many people that represent Kansas. I think one of our biggest ones out there right now are Janelle Monet. She's from Kansas City. Huh. So Kansas City, Kansas, may I add, not Missouri. So I'm Kansas proud. I began my career in education at Wichita State University. I transferred to Kansas State University as a first-gen college student. I went to Kansas State University, got my master's and my bachelor's degree from there. And then I eventually went on to Texas Southern University. Long story short, I'll spare you all the details, but made it to Houston, Texas and ended up teaching in Pasadena Independent School District for five years before I started working on my doctorate at Texas Southern. Completed that in 2013. Back to Wichita though, I'm going to go back to give you all a little bit more background, you know, because that's kind of where I ended up. But where I started was very, very important. I lived down the street from Wichita State University. It is in the worst neighborhood in Wichita, Kansas. Surprisingly, I don't know if you all know, most universities tend to not always be in the affluent areas. Not all the time. But I only set foot on that campus two to three times my entire formative years and high school years. My family didn't know any teachers. We didn't know any professors. I only knew one person who went to college, and that was my uncle. And By the time I went to college, he had already moved to another state. So that kind of shaped a lot of of who I was and shaped my journey. I will say that um, I'm open. 
I'm honest, I'm dedicated to my field mm. and my students and helping other educators, especially those that have seen the same struggles that I have, whether it be lack of access, lack of mentors in my field, and just the difficulties of navigating in academia. I didn't say this, but I have 16 years of experience in education, almost 16 years. I worked in the K-12 setting for 11 years. I worked in rural and urban settings, and I've worked in higher ed uh, for six years. So there was actually an overlap where I worked in both higher ed and the K-12 setting. I also have a unique experience, and then I'll stop telling my story. But my other unique experience is that not only have I worked in a rural setting and an urban setting, but I also have gone to a predominantly white institution as well as an HBCU. So I've seen education on both sides and many different sides and perspectives. It's okay to tell your story because it's a good story. One, you are from Wichita. 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 Wichita, Kansas. And it's one of the places you're like, did I say that right? And, and it is really cool just to think that you have just been able to navigate from a place where you said there aren't many people who were going to college or doing things that you have been able to do and do well. What I'm curious to know is considering that there weren't many people, I mean, you said your uncle, so outside of him, um, who went to school, what was it that compelled you to want to go to school, but even more to pursue education as a field? Oh, good question. First of all, my uncle and I, we, he actually never talked to me about college. He did, however, instill in me education and making sure I know my history. He would always come over to my grandma's and quiz me about things. It's almost like he would challenge me and say, well, I bet you don't know this. and I bet you don't know that. And, and so he would push me. My parents, they both were high school graduates, but never college graduates. And this is something I always share with people. We never had the conversation of college. Hmm. Basically, you know, they said, you know, we want you to go to college. But other than that, there was never a conversation as to how I was going to get there. Am I going to visit any colleges? Decisions weren't made until my senior year, second semester. And basically, I told my parents what I was doing. Um, it wasn't, you know, a mutual decision. It was just like, <laughs> OK, you know, all right. And then that was it. And, and it wasn't because they didn't want me to go. It's that they, they never had that conversation with their parents. They didn't go to college. So they didn't know what to say, I don't think. I don't think they knew how to have the conversation or where to start. It was just assumed that I would go to college because I had done fairly well in school. I had my ups and downs in high school. But it was just assumed that I would go. But there was never really a conversation or a plan of how to get there. But my parents always, there were little things that they did, you know, that they didn't even know that they were doing to help me. Like from when I was a child, I, I'm a literacy educator. So believe it or not, and I share this with people, my parents always brought the newspaper in our house, hmm. especially on the weekends. A lot of times, of course, my mom's a shopper. So a lot of times it was to get the sales, you know, sale ads. But also they actually read you know, what was going on in our town and what was going on in the news. So seeing that, I actually, you know, after a while, I would pick up the, the comics and then eventually I would pick up the regular paper as well. So it wasn't done every day, but on Sundays, that was kind of, you know, the thing. Nobody would think that in our neighborhood and with my parents that we would be doing that or that would be a part of our household. It was just something kind of essential, you know, like I said, for my mother, for shopping and getting coupons. But at the same time, 
they, I don't, they, and I told them this later, but I don't think they realized there were just small things that they did, like subscribing to a, a for a while until we didn't have money anymore to do it, but subscribing to a book club where they sent little books or I, there used to be this little science kit that you could get and they would send like mm -hmm. cards about animals, the different types of animals. And they, I think they would give me like, I got like a trial, but then after a while that stopped. And one thing that I didn't mention, the only reason I didn't have it worse as a child, because I grew up, I'm just going to say it in the hood. Mm -hmm. The only reason I didn't have it as worse is I was an only child. Had I had siblings, mm -hmm. then it probably would have been a little bit worse. You know, I had I had access to a, a lot more and we had a lot more in my home because of that. So there was just always this drive in me. But there were also little things that my parents did or um, cousins, older cousins. I was the youngest for a long time that always, you know, they always kind of pushed me. They knew that I loved to talk. My cousins did. So they knew eventually that I was going to be somebody because they used to always tease me and tell me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> they used to sing that song, you talk too much um, and you never shut up. But, you know, they knew that there was something behind that and hopefully that I'd be taking it somewhere. So I just always had this drive, the drive to learn, learn new things, question and ask and seek knowledge. Hmm. I really find that fascinating and I'm intrigued by what you were able to pick up from what your parents were doing, although it may not have been like the most intentional thing, or it may have been things that they were just trying to see if you like it. They even like the paper. Now that I'm thinking about my like, man, my grandma kept the paper and she got the paper every day and she would sit up and she would read it and she would read out loud. And after a while I was reading the paper too. Uh, but it's just thinking about how we can take things from my parents that even in hardship, you know, some of us see struggle and we only take away the struggle, but you saw something bigger and you saw that you had a love for learning and that you can go back and reflect and, and credit your parents for exposing you in, in such a way. My mom did something similar with buying encyclopedias or somebody was selling anything academic because she knew I was like a nerd. <laughs> um, I love learning, too, and just knowing new things. She would always anything I can do to help my child have a better life. She would invest in it, even if that meant, you know, spending her last. And so I can appreciate that. But that's major. Thank you for pointing that out, that we can take the good from our parents, even in hardship, because it's a matter of seeing that there are little things they do. I mean, that's putting money in an envelope. Or, you know, saying only buy it if you have cash, that we don't have to be millionaires or we don't have to be PhDs to be able to teach you something about life. Mm -hmm. Like when we were out, you know, my father, he would always ask, you know, what does that say? Like when I was little and trying to learn to read, you know, pointing mm -hmm. out signs, pointing out things and just kind of always kind of checking in on me and, and seeing what I know. And, and I, you know, I shared that in a book that I wrote that, you know. They were my influence. They may not have directly known, you know, what they did, but they're a big part, you know, of why I am who I am. Mm, I love that. I, I really do love that because it's even in the hardship, they are still promise. And we need to be reminded of that and that our parents are doing the best that they can with us, no matter what it might be. Oh, man, I'm feeling that today because I'm really grateful for my mom. It was just her and three kids and three jobs, <laughs> but she did the best that she could do. Man, so kind of transition a little bit and thinking about our parents and I'm thinking about the idea of the things that we do, you know, how they've been able to influence us. I'm thinking about if there's been something that you have done to influence others. So what do you think are some of the things that 
you do daily to change the world around you? I would just say that being an example for people, and this is where the question gets tricky because there's some days where I don't feel like I'm being an example, but then there's always this spark or something that comes along that says, yes, people are watching, you know, people are noticing and taking note. I think I just did, I did a teacher tip yesterday on my Instagram and it was my 50th one that I've done in this past year. Nice, congrats. (laughs) I put that, you know, my career is a service and I look at it as a service. And so when thinking about working with students, my job is to inspire them, you know, with my stories and just sharing with them, you know, different parts of who I am. The tip was it has something to do with that we need to be able to give more than just being able to teach a content area Mm. to students. What do you offer besides just being able to teach, in my case, reading or writing? What is it that you have to offer? So what I have to offer is one, realizing that what I'm doing is a service, and two, being an example, sharing my good moments, my not so good moments, allowing them to see that I'm human, and not just students, but also other educators as well. So, for example, with my students, you know, I've shared uh, stories of growing up in Wichita, Kansas and not I I wanted to at one point be on TV, Mm. on the news. Go figure. (laughs) And I ended up not doing that because I didn't see anyone who looked like me as well as they didn't have the name Kamisha that I let that deter me from wanting to do that. I'm actually glad I did not go into it because I can't see myself on TV every day. (laughs) It would just be too much. Although you have a YouTube channel. I do, but that's not every day. (laughs) And then other things. My mom didn't want me to be an educator. I share that with my students. I share that, you know, I kept going despite my mom not wanting me to be an educator. And it wasn't that she didn't like educators. He felt like I had the potential to do something else besides teach. He didn't see the value of teachers. Mm. And so I just kept pushing. And of course, the main person who cried at my graduation, my bachelor's degree, (laughs) was my mom. (laughs) She was so proud and excited. And she now, she's just now seeing, you know, all the hard work that I put into my classroom, into my field, into my career for free (laughs) Mm. a lot of times. And then sharing, you know, just personal things, my travels. I travel a lot, sharing the stories of the people I encounter, sharing my, I share even my relationship. I'm married to an architect, seeing, you know, two African-American people being married and also seeing the careers that we have. You know, my husband being an architect, you know, that is something that students need to see Mm -hmm. and hear. And, and see examples of that. When you say that, you know, students here to see examples of things and they, you know, see and hear things that are positive just in life. What would you say when you think about your own life has been some of the best advice that you've actually gotten from somebody? Let's see, the best advice that I got from someone, I would say would be, well, there's, I'm going to, I'll say it two part because one would be just from my life in general, but one would also be as a student as well. So I'll start with, well, beyond having faith and trusting God, I was told to fail fast. And I'm like, oh, you know, you don't want to hear that when you're in the middle of a struggle or if you're crying because of being rejected. But 
consistently, I've been told, fail fast. It means to act on my ideas, you know, and if I'm faced with rejection, learn from it, get the lesson from it and move on. Always find a lesson. People see me in a certain position. They see I have a certain, you know, certain credentials, see that I've achieved a certain level of success, but they don't see the rejection, you know, that I face a lot of times. Mm. Emails that I get for proposals or for conferences, denials of employment, and then even rejection or doubts from people within my field. You know, why are you, why did you go get a doctor? Why are you doing this? But the biggest piece Mm. is just, you know, it's been constantly Um, When I'm struggling, it's okay. Fail fast. Don't dwell on it. Move on. Move on to the next thing. Uh, Because I've been known to wallow in things. Mm. (laughs) And so having somebody say and having someone there consistently say, it's all right. Fail fast. Move on. At times, though, you don't want to hear that because that's not what you want to hear. But at the same time, don't waste a lot of time on, you know, the rejection and the negative. Move on to the next thing. Find out that lesson as to how you can do better next time. I can dig that, especially as a first gen, because it seems like rejection in in my mind or failure can just be that much more devastating (laughs) because it's this fight between trying to get ahead and doing well and, and doing better and having a better life than what you had growing up. And then to think that the rejection is an indication of worthiness. And, oh, well, you know, my parents may not have had, you know, the money or the resources or the networks, or I may not have been able to go to a different school because of affordability. So the fact that you're saying, you know, fail and fail fast and and the point of getting over it is that you got to keep going, just as you said. And that's a powerful reminder as a first gen to not get stuck in the path that, you know, hasn't been created for you because nobody came, you know, in your life. When you were a child who were who looked like you and who was faculty or, you know, doing the work that you were doing and say, girl, this is how you do it. You've had to figure it out on your own. And that is special because it's not an easy journey. So thank you for that, for sharing that. That's that really like touched me. And I'm like, you know, that's that's real because even as you're an entrepreneur as well. So you can get that a lot of times. It's, like I said, a lot of no, a lot of closed doors. You're like, can I get the yes, please? <laughs> And because you because you want something more for yourself and it's OK to want that. So that's that's really cool. But thinking about the best advice you've ever gotten from someone. Well, on the flip side, what do you wish someone would have told you about life? This is the one where it's two parts. <laughs> I can tell you from a first gen perspective and also life in general. I like that. For life in general, just get out of your own way and show people who you really are. A lot of times. I have my guard up. I'm an only child. I have an introvert personality. Being the only child growing up, you know, I was always guarded. You know, I want to know why people, why do you want to know this? Why do you want to know this about me? You know, my guard was always up. So just understanding that there are people who genuinely care to help and who who mean well. So I wish someone would have told me to get out of your own way. Put your guard down sometimes. You don't always have to be guarded. And then the, the thing related to being a first gen, first of all, high school, I mentioned this earlier in our conversation, start the process early. Don't wait until senior year in March to decide where you're going to go to school. Because I didn't mention this, but I went to Wichita State my first, I did mention I went to Wichita State my first year, but that wasn't the plan that I really wanted. I really wanted to go away from home my first year, but I had doubts that, I would be able to, as well as I wasn't prepared financially, as well as 
I hadn't discussed it with my parents, so I stayed home. And a lot of people, that looks like almost like a failure. Like, why are you still here, here in Wichita? So start the process early. Don't wait till March, your senior year, start applying. I did get a scholarship. It was, I think it was, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars, but it covered a lot of my tuition back then. That was a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know anything. So the next year, I went to Wichita State for that year. That was a freshman scholarship. I didn't know that there were just freshman scholarships. So that scholarship was gone after that. And so I had to make the decision, how am I going to pay for school? Am I going to stay at this school? So that's when I said, you know what? If I'm going to have to try to work hard to stay in school, I'm going to go to the school that I really want to go to. And so that's why I transferred. So start the process early. Always have faith in your abilities. So don't doubt you know, what you can do. And then moving into college, it's okay to find a mentor your freshman or sophomore year. You don't have to wait until your senior year to have a mentor or somebody that's going to help you career-wise. And then going into graduate school, publish early, put your ideas out there, and then use the resources that you have in graduate school to help catapult your career goals. I did not start making a lot of the moves that I made until after I already graduated with my doctorate. Hmm. Why is that? Well, because one, I didn't know there were certain things that I should do. And I didn't know the value of publications as far as moving into the faculty life. I did have one publication under my belt, and that actually happened during my master's degree at Kansas State. Had I not had that one, I wouldn't have had zero. The only publication I would have had was just my dissertation coming out. So I wasn't set up. No no knock on my program. That just wasn't the priority. The priority was trying to get us mm-hmm. prepared I mean, to get us through our program. But I really feel like if I could do it all over again, I would have used the resources that I had in graduate school, form better relationships with faculty members, because ultimately that's who just it's with any situation. Uh, they're going to come back to that. If I'm looking for a faculty job, they're going to come back to my chair. They're going to come back to the people who I've interacted with. Um, there was a lot going on, though, in my graduate school program. Our university changed presidents and a lot of administration changed. We had professors pass away. You know, we had the hurricane, Hurricane Ike. I went to school in Houston the very first semester that I began. So it, there was a lot. So I also recommend people if you're going to work in a doctoral program that you make sure you have support. I had support. Thank God. But there are a lot of people who do not. And a lot of people ask me, should I do it? What's your idea? And I always tell them, if you don't have the support that you need, like a family support or someone that's going to support you and understand the process, then you might want to rethink it because it's not not easy to go at it, go through that process alone. Amen. <laughs> like looking back at it, like, yeah, I, if I hadn't had my husband and some really close friends in my family's patience and understanding, I don't know how I would have survived that program because it's, it's a lot emotionally, mentally, spiritually, mm-hmm. physically. It's, it's a lot. So you said that you said something about preparedness mm-hmm. and just, you know, positioning yourself for life after school. But then, you know, you, you figured your way into things professionally. So at this point, I'd like to know what are some of the things that you're working on now that you've gotten mm-hmm. your groove, that you've transitioned from, like I said, from being a teacher to higher education, you've published a book, you have articles, 
So what are the other things you, you're working on? Well, I'm currently, I relocated. I know I mentioned Houston, but I now live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I'm looking to network. Networking is so important. Find colleagues to continue to collaborate with. As I mentioned, I kind of went through my program, my doctoral program, uh, kind of isolated. There, we did have a core group of people, but we all were in different subject areas. So it made it difficult to collaborate. So I'm looking for people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to network and collaborate with, whether it be on articles, uh, workshops, service projects, and research. So that's one thing that I'm just trying to get settled in. And then I currently work as ad interim assistant professor at Texas A&M Commerce. And I'm doing that. Um, I also basically am a teaching assistant slash consultant for Kansas State Online. So long story short, I work with a lot of pre-service teachers and people who are going out into the field. Also just got through uh, presenting at the Texas Association for Literacy Education for their annual conference, presented a session called Dream Literacy. And Dream, the D stands for diversity, R is relevance, E engagement, A is access, and M is motivation. And I plan to make that a web series. Um, It's currently up as a message board for resources. Going to go deeper into it. I'd like to eventually turn it into an instructional book, even go as far as potentially developing it into a curriculum. So I'm working on that. And then I'm also working on a children's book, actually two children's books. One's a children's poetry book, and the other one I'm looking for an illustrator for, and it's called I Am Not My Name. Um, and it's in reference to my name, Kamisha, and the perceptions that people might have about me because of my name. Last thing is currently doing some research on parent involvement and how we can better train teachers to work with parents. I don't feel that we're giving enough training to teachers and working with parents and engaging the community. So that's something that I'm working on. And then the last thing is I'm working on a guide. I already have a playlist on YouTube um, full of videos that go with this, but I'm working on a guide. Hopefully it'll be done before summer for veteran and new teachers, and it's called Classrooms Are Built in the Summer. Those are just a few things, in addition to teaching and working on the things that we have to do for teaching or working that we're required to do as a faculty. Those are just a few of the things that I'm currently working on. Those are just a few of the things like, because <laughs> the short answer to the question is, every, what are you working on? Everything. You are really busy. But of course, it all sounds so impactful because you are really doing a lot in this in this education space that will change many, many lives. And I'm like, goodness. So I, I love that you've even you know, said you just recently trans, not transferred, tripping, because you didn't transfer. You move, relocated to Dallas from Houston. And that you've already like hit the ground running, but you've also continued the projects that you've had. I'm like, man, <laughs> you're dynamite. <laughs> that is really <laughs> awesome because it's a lot to do as an educator to keep up with the spaces, to present, to propose for conferences, to network. Um, you're doing it all. And, you know, she's also hiring an assistant. I'm being funny. But really, this is this is re- really, really awesome of you. And I really hope that people in the area are able to connect with you who listen to this and that you all are able to do many great things out there in Dallas. Rockstar, I have a, a, another question I want to ask because we're, you know, we're getting to the point of wrapping up, but it was something that we've touched on like in a conversation before and I thought it was a, a point that I'd really love for you to make 
to the people who are listening, especially the professionals. And, and this is about facing adversity in the workplace. What kind of advice would you give to someone? And this is just based off of knowing that, you know, people are out pursuing things. There is, like I said, rejection. When you touch on rejection, I'm thinking, man, how many things have applied to, like you said, even jobs and been rejected for them. And you're like, I really wanted that job. <laughs> you know, why did you hire me? But what, what would you say to people who are experiencing adversity in in the form of being rejected from jobs that they want or that they've applied for or just going out the opportunities? What advice would you give to them to navigate or to be encouraged through the process? One, do your homework. Um, and I know it sounds simple, but two, I learned that what is meant for me is going to be for me. I learned that some temporary situations, they might be meant you know, to mold you and whatever you're going through in that process, it could be meant to inspire the other people that you're interacting with. Mm. So I, I faced a situation in where I was in a temporary role and did not get a long-term permanent role. And it was one of the hardest things that I went through. It really had me down in the dumps and doubting who I am and what I should be doing. But then eventually, you know, I learned just based off of all of the uh, feedback that I got from the people who I interacted with, I was where I needed to be. But it was just for that moment. Sometimes you're needed hmm. just in that moment to help out those who need you. You may not even know that they need you. But I also learned that you also need to be willing to put aside your pride, shall I say, if you're hurt. And, and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask why, you know, why am I being rejected? Or don't be afraid to ask for feedback from people. There's been a situation recently. Um, I actually got hired for a position, a temporary position I was in. And it was be based off of me asking, well, what could I have done better? And then they didn't hire me at that point, but they hired me later. They came back. And so I don't know if that was one, because they saw that I was hungry for the opportunity or two, because, you know, I think it's because they saw that I was hungry. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but just don't be afraid to ask for feedback. There's been many situations where I just my personality is, you know, if you don't want me, I'm over it. You know, I'm going to move on. But at the same time, you can't be afraid to challenge and seek feedback. You never know what can happen from that feedback or you never know who you may encounter from that feedback. So always be open. Never completely, I guess, close a door unless you have to. But just be willing to seek feedback. Don't be afraid and don't be afraid to. I guess I'm, I'm trying not to use my particular use names or anything, but just. Don't be afraid to go after something if you really feel that it was for you. And even if you find out it's not for mm -hmm. you, um, at least you can say that you made every effort to learn, to develop and go after what you're seeking. Okay? I, I can dig that wholeheartedly because it definitely speaks to the idea that we're not immune to failure just because we have degrees or that we're not immune to missing out on opportunities sometimes or not being afforded opportunities because it's the game of life and the game of professionalism. And we just have to find our lane. I guess that's a good way to say it as well. And I don't I don't talk about it much, but just in the spirit of transparency, I was in higher ed for close to a decade and I would change jobs almost every year, you know, just to be very honest with you. And like, what were you doing? What was going on with you? I felt like I could never find my fit. And 
it, you know, was becoming so exhausting for me mentally and emotionally because it was like, what am I doing so wrong or why is this just not working out? And it took me getting to a breaking point to say, I think I just need to try something different and that's okay. So even to your point, if something isn't working for some reason, it's not always because it's that you've done something wrong as much as it may not just be what's for you. And I love higher ed because, you know, you're new to it still being that your heart is really K-12, but you are navigating the space so elegantly, you know, from my perception of, of looking at you. And then for me, I'm all things higher ed, but I'm navigating an entrepreneurial space and it's still very new to me. But nonetheless, you know, I, I believe what you've said is that we always end up where we're supposed to be. And so for those of you who are frustrated, who are trying to figure out what's next, it'll come to you. You know, just like Dr. Charles has said, just got to keep moving and keep going forward. So, yeah, you're dropping nuggets on us today, making me want to talk about some stuff. <laughs> yes, and, and, and my inspiration came. You have to also look for inspiration to keep you going. Mm-hmm. I had students that reached out to me. I had students that wanted to go to bat for me. <laughs> and had I ignored that, you know, I would probably still be in a dark place. But I had students that called me, wanted to talk to me, you know, find out what I was doing, encourage me. You've got to keep going. You know, maybe this place wasn't the place for you, but you've got something. You've helped me. So just trying to make an effort to look out, you know, to look for those little little things that will keep you going. I had students pushing me and telling me, you know, go to YouTube, start putting your ideas out there. You know, the things you shared with us, other people need to hear. So Don't be in such a dark place that you aren't receptive to listen, as well as to try to pick yourself back up. So, I mean, I had and and there was always just this little glimmer of light or something that would happen, whether it be, you know, out of five no's, I finally got one yes. You know, things like that, um, that let me know, you know, you're headed in the right direction. It just takes time. And uh, my story and my journey is not going to be the same as everyone else's. I had to stop comparing myself to other people's journeys as well. I I could talk to you and talk to you forever (laughs) because, you know, you just you're powerful and you're thoughtful. And I appreciate that you're reflective, but also taking your reflection and helping other people in their journey of life as well. And so intentional about what it is that you're doing, Uh, which brings me to my last question for you. Uh, What is the one thing that you want to leave us with to carry with us for the rest of our lives? I want you all to know, being that this is a first gen podcast, first gen voices are important. Faculty of color are needed on university campuses, especially in teacher education programs, because teachers are going to go out and teach and reach and teach all different fields. If we're missing our voice, from those programs, how is that going to impact our classrooms if in whatever field? So just know that first-gen voices are important. They matter. Faculty of color, highly important. And I, I hope that we will see more and more um, of us on campuses in the future. Thank you so much. You have been such a joy to have today. I'm sure there are going to be people who want to reach out to you to connect with you. Where on the internet would you like for people to find you all right you can find me on twitter instagram and facebook if you just type in my handle is doctor spelled out d-o-c-t-o-r 
Childs. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as YouTube. If you search for Dr. Abbreviated, D-R period, K Childs, you'll find me on YouTube, as well as visit my website, and it's drkchilds.com. You'll be able to find anything that you ever wanted to know about me on my website, as well as find social media links as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Dr. Childs, for your spirit, for your enthusiasm, your transparency today for really uplifting us in the way that this podcast was created to spread love and joy and hope to those who are just like us. Wishing you well in everything that lies ahead. Looking forward to collaborating with you again in the future. Thank you so much. This was an honor to be able to do this. 